Hello everybody and welcome back. Welcome back to the RPG Room. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and as you may know, this is a podcast in which I get together with two people who seem to know what they are talking about, uh, or at the very least one of them does, the other one, well, he pretends, and uh, we talk about RPG-related hey. stuff. I am, I, I think I've already said it, but I will say it again, I am Paco Garcia. I'm Vicky Beaver. And I'm offended. <laughs> that was about well, me. Well, Jim, I was going to say which one of us knows what we're talking about depends on the day. <laughs> he said he. He was clear with the pronoun. He, he was. He. Why are you so grumpy today? You I'm haven't slept grumpy. very well. I, I'm fine. I'm not grumpy. I'm not grumpy at all. I'm hurt now. I'm, oh. My one feeling has now been hurt. Oh, dear. Poor little thing. Yeah. I'm not being patronizing now, am I? Oh. <laughs> well, that kind of leads right into the topic we're talking about today. Yes. It does. It does. Yes. It yes, does. it is. So um, go with it. Uh, Vicky, you introduce it. Well, so our topic today is about character uh, creation and character, uh, well, the way you handle characters, particularly when a player and of course, then their character is an absentia. And what kind of things are uh, okay to do, not okay to do, somewhere straddling the line, uh, all kinds of things we can get into. And I'm going to let one of the gentlemen start with what things do we want to get into about dealing with other people's characters at the table? Yeah, I think it's really important that uh, everybody respects each other's boundaries. And I think we're talking about traditional role-playing games. We're not talking about the new story movement. Yes. Um, we're talking about a traditional role-playing game where you're sitting down and you're campaigning and you're playing. Everybody plays some sort of gimmick, right? They've got a character. They want that character to have some spotlight, some time in the in in front of everyone doing their thing. And if the other players don't respect what your gimmick is, um, and conversely, if you come up with a gimmick that just doesn't fit the game world, uh, you're you're not going to enjoy each other's company. You're not going to have fun playing. And the example that comes to mind for me is people that like to screw with the guy playing the paladin hmm. or the cleric, right? You've got this character that has principles and everybody else decides that they're not going to have any. So all they do is try to cause problems for the other character. Um, conversely, the, the paladin that is constantly trying to put their principles onto everybody else and getting in the way of what they're trying to do, those characters can butt heads. And if they don't respect each other's boundaries and realize that they have a common interest or a common goal, they're not going to have fun. But Paco, you've got a great example of somebody not respecting your boundaries. Yes, I, I do. Um, and it is something that happened to me recently, which uh, for some people it still sounds uh, a little bit silly. But it did matter to me an awful lot. Uh, uh, we were playing, my group and I, were, we were playing uh, Rise of the Rune Lords, the, the Pathfinder adventure. And we've been playing that for almost two years, breaking in uh, a few weeks at a time to play different games so we could give the GM some sort of break. And during that time, I've been playing a halfling ranger who Higgsbottom is his name. And uh, Higgsbottom found Shadow Mist. A, a huge, beautiful white warhorse that I have been rearing. I managed to do the right roles and do the right things and handle animals and blah, 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 rules that you do in Pathfinder. And for those 10 levels that I was playing until, oh, what you pardon, tell the 12 levels that I was playing, Shadow Mist was very much a part of what Higgsbottom 
wanted to become. Higgsbottom wanted that horse to be to become a magical beast that could be his familiar. And there was all sorts of little side quests and hints dropped about it. For personal reasons, I had to temporarily leave the group for about eight weeks. And I left my character behind. Uh, Higgsbottom was looking after a school of fighting that I was trying to open. And Shadow Mist remained with him. However, on my return, and when I asked for an, ab an update on what's been going on in the group, one of my friends had decided that because it's so implausible that a three-foot-tall hobbit was going to be able to ride a nine-foot-tall horse, he decided that he was going to sell the horse. Just because. And yeah. I, I felt, I mean, I decided I don't want to go back to that group because I, I felt that the whole, my character, I know this sounds extreme, but it had been kind of violated. You know, something that was very, very dear and intrinsic to both me as the player and my character for no reason other than, oh, this is too difficult, too fantastic for a fantasy world, had been sold. It wasn't that somebody had taken the horse because it could be useful or the horse had died in a fight. No, it had been sold for gold, which is possibly the most useless and ephemeral of treasures that one can find in a Pathfinder game. Not particularly Rise of the Rune Lords. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there's plenty of that yeah. to go around. So wh why why get selling a horse that I've been looking after for two years for a few hundred gold coins? Yeah, I don't think that it's silly at all. Uh, if, to me, if if you equate that to okay, your character, you know, your your character had some, uh, you know, some treasure that they had for whatever reason left with the, uh, the party, you know, a, a magical sword that was useful to the party's quest, and you as a player had to leave the game for a while. If you came back in you know three months and they knew that you're coming back, and suddenly they've you know run off with you know that character ran off with the sword or they sold that sword everybody would understand why that's annoying and why that seems wrong. <laughs> uh, so to well, me... You know, the, 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 the thing is... is on the same level. Well, the, the, the thing is, if they have taken the horse, because there was a there is a paladin in the group, if they if he'd taken the horse, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a fantastic animal, it's, it's trained in combat, it would be very useful. I would have said, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. I, I really, really don't mind. But it was the act of selling it, of getting rid of it. And when I came back and confronted the player with that and said, this is the reason why I don't want to, his flippant reply was, oh, but that could make for a great um, side story. It could make a quest for you to find the horse again. And I just thought, right, so now you basically, and pardon listeners for the language, but you basically fuck up the situation. And I am the one who has to make up for it as well. I, I, I am the one who's going to make the effort <laughs> now because you decided that I shouldn't have something that I was working towards. Right. That sounds too much like real life to me. I don't like having to work that hard in my game. Yeah. <laughs> we, we get screwed I, over enough in real life. <laughs> we don't even have that at our, at our fun time. In, in all fairness, there is something cool about a story where you have to go and find your horse again. 
right? Yeah, but not because what somebody... sucks about it is the GM didn't decide that you needed this quest to enrich your character. The players decided they're going to bend you over, and then oh he he, well, what if you, we make that into a story? Well, what's going to stop you guys from fucking it up again? Exactly. And I'm not going to apologize for it because you already opened the gate on the F word. So there yeah, we go. Exactly. You know, which is why I don't want to go back to the group because yeah. I don't feel safe that I know that something like this is not going to happen again. Um, because I, I, I made it very clear, is, but something um, else might. I think this is a microscopic lens view of a lack of trust in a group, right? And you're absolutely justified in not going back because it, the, the, the situation itself, you're right, it does sound kind of silly when you're explaining it to other people. But if you're a gamer and you've been doing this long enough and you've played in games where people have tried to sort of mad dog you in a sense, because that's what this is, is passive aggressive mad dogging hmm. is what this really is, is they've decided you're not there and you can't defend yourself. So they're going to make it clear that they, they didn't like what you came up with as a concept and they're going to take it away from you. They didn't have the balls to do it in front of you. And so they're right. going to do it while you're gone. And that's what really, really chaps my hide about this story is that these guys are kind of pussies for doing this. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And I wouldn't want to game with these guys. I'm using the colloquial term pussy here, not, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm not going to have a debate with you as to whether or not that's the appropriate. No, 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 I understand what you mean. No, I, and I, I completely agree. So um, it, it is something that really struck me, and I wrote a quick article about it. Uh, but the, I mean, I personally, I've, I've always thought, and this is something I learned many, many years ago when I first started in, in, in role-playing games, you don't touch other, other people's characters. You, you leave them alone. You, yeah. you don't write on their character sheets. You you don't put things into the folders where we keep all the sheets and all the cards and all the pencils. You leave that alone. It is not your property ever. Uh, the, the caveat to that being that unless you have someone who says, I'm going to be away from the table, would you play my character? Well, yeah, exactly. But that's a different thing. In my case... It's not just on your own. Yeah. I, yeah, we talked about if we you know, had mentioned earlier that you know kind of one of the things when I talked about was not just you know the what not to do's but the you know what you know what to do you know what what is it you know what is okay not just what's not okay, I and the situation of handling someone else's characters came up a lot in what my former group uh, because we had a set of parents that were hosting the game the husband was a GM and the wife was one of the players but having two small children. And him being the GM, she was the one who had to excuse herself from the table and try to handle that a lot. So if she if she were to be away from the table, I, there were some times when she realized just before the game even started, I'm not even going to get to play today. So she would peek in every once in a while. But oftentimes she would have one of us actually handle her character. So if she were to manage to come in you know, two and a half hours later when the kids were finally asleep, that she, you know, her character has been participating, uh, which was a very different thing. So I, because I was the other lady at the table, I often ended up being the one who had her character sheet uh, and was the one who you know, took notes on it. So that was one way we handled a character who was often not away from the table, even though she wasn't away from town necessarily. Uh, although she was a professor, so she often did end up traveling. But even when she was there in the house, she couldn't always play. So that was one way that we handled trying to help her continue to be able to play even when she was not necessarily going to be at the table or that it was not something that she knew for sure whether or not she'd be able to play. 
But Vicky, that doesn't even sound like there was a trust issue going on at the table, which mm-hmm. I think is the bigger problem. No, but here. that was, but that's part of part of the greater scheme of things. Not certain. It's certainly not specific to Paco's uh, experience recently. That's that is one way that if you're in a group, that it's not necessarily bad to handle other people's characters. It's a matter of that keyword you just mentioned, trust. You know, if if you're trusting someone not to do stupid stupid things with the character. And that was a big thing. She was extending trust to primarily me. That I wasn't going to suddenly have her magic user, uh, you know, profess her undying, her undying, you know, fealty to my character's goddess. You know, it wasn't like I was going to suddenly play her character as if her character were mine. So there was that trust, and that doesn't exist all the time. But when you, you know, but when you can have that trust. It's nice to know that you are trusted by your other players to not screw their character over in absentia. And it's nice to be able to, to trust that to others. Which um, is, I think... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was, I was going to actually tangent there, so you go ahead and... Well, no, I was going to say which, that that is possibly the ideal kind of player-to-player relationship in which you can really trust that somebody's not just going to use your character as cannon fodder to save his own when when you are away. You know, this, the, this idea that, oh, okay, um, because you have the ranger and I have the wizard, I'm always going to send the ranger, which a little bit a little bit stronger than the wizard. I'm going to send him forward to make sure that it stops the enemy long enough for me to run away. Um, which I have seen that happening several times. Uh, and, and I think that is, you know, to to, co- to to turn another player's character into a kamikaze uh, just because you want to save your own character. Right. Yeah. And to trust another player with another character, especially one that you've been working with and uh, leveling up and nurturing for so long, that, that takes some guts. You know, and, and incidentally, that was also Rise of the Rune Lords and Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> so in that case, you'll know, um, it, Rune of the um, Rise of the Rune Lords is an absolutely amazing adventure. It's a it's a really well written, it's extremely well crafted dungeon crawler, with a good history and story in the background, and you know how easy it is to become attached to a character that's gone from level one, you know, when you start killing those little goblins to level 10 when you start, you know, being able to destroy stone giants single-handedly. You know, getting attached to those characters is very, very easy. And to betray another player. Yeah, I mean, especially if you have managed to hold on to the same character the whole time. Some of us end up having to switch to two or three characters because our characters die along the way. But, you know, if you manage to actually not not lose your character, yeah. It's easy to get attached because this is something you spend four, five, six hours every game session mm. doing. Exactly. Well, let me ask you guys a question then. Let's take the converse of this. Obviously, trust is a vital ingredient. Are, have you guys been in situations where the GM has tried to push your boundaries? And the GM, not the other players, but the, the GM is trying to push your boundaries, taking something from you to give your character a personal challenge, and you've resented it? I, I yes, mm-hmm. uh, I had a GM who I thought I uh, you know it's like I, I thought at first was just being uh, not really sure how to handle 
someone playing a paladin. I, but it turned out that the person just really didn't want to deal with, well, in my view anyway, didn't want to deal with a, a paladin at the table. I, I don't think that he was pushing me so my character would grow. I think he was pushing me because he was hoping that I would stop playing a paladin. Or maybe just stop playing at the table altogether, I'm not sure which. Uh, but I, I played a paladin, and every time my paladin wanted to do something like, uh, I, I'll never forget, uh, she was going to negotiate haggle with, some, uh, with a merchant over something that the party needed. And the GM decided that that was not a lawful good action. The GM decided that because my paladin, who obviously was lawful good, uh, was trying to get a better price, that in some, you know, it's in, in some strange lens he was looking through, that that was an act of evil. So he was trying to, you know, his idea was, if I continue to try to negotiate on behalf of the party and get a better price than the asking price at this market, that I uh, I was going to have to face my character's goddess's retribution on this, and that was very very strange. I, I didn't understand, still don't understand. I uh, anybody I've mentioned this to hasn't understood, <laughs> but it was really weird. It was a GM who was doing it. It, it was a GM doing it to me. It was not another player, and it wasn't just you know it wasn't a specific uh, a specific character or a specific NPC, it was the GM. And that was really very strange and made me unhappy with the game. <laughs> made me unhappy continuing my character and I was really looking forward to the campaign ending uh, so that I didn't have to deal with that anymore. I know um, back in my youth when I wasn't very good yet or I was still growing as a GM, I would have problems with characters that had gimmicks that I just couldn't wrap my head around. Um, and I always made things difficult for them simply because I didn't know what to do. Because if somebody comes up with a gimmick that's silly and they keep succeeding at everything, it it can derail your perceptions of things. And so I'm not defending him. I think he was probably just a bad GM and he didn't know how to verbalize his concerns. Um, but I've done the same thing. I, I feel bad about it now looking back some of the times that I've ruined my buddy Mike's character concepts and because I couldn't wrap my head around him. Uh, I actually had, it, it had a feeling later on that it was simply personal, but I will never know. Nor do I care to know. <laughs> that person's no longer in my life. I was going to say, it can be really tough when you've got five, six different personalities showing up at a game table and everybody's got a different favorite kind of fantasy. And one guy likes Conan, and one guy likes How to Train Your Dragon. Um, right. Those I, are that those two personality types at the table are never going to see eye to eye, and they're going to challenge each other, or mistreat each other, or disrespect each other in ways that they may not even be aware of. They're doing simply because they don't know how to communicate your idea. Not even he's bad. Your idea makes no sense to me. Well, not, it, it was. It was not just that one particular thing that occurred. It was a yeah. series of them, and that was kind of the one that really just was obviously, okay, this is just something wrong here. Uh, but it was so bad over the course of uh, several months. I mean, this was a long campaign. 
Uh, but it was so bad that I actually did not play a paladin again until the Rise of the Rune Lords campaign that I played with a group that I'd been playing with for several years. Uh, so I figure, let's see, that happened in probably 1990, I want to say, seven. So that was about 1997 or so that that happened. And it wasn't until about 2012 that I, before I finally would play a paladin again. Because he was so horrible to you, my character, that I didn't want to play a paladin because I was afraid that the next GM I got would do the same sort of things. The, the thing is, I mean, my experience with paladins as I was growing up playing games, they tend to be characters that for some reason some people hate. The, the notion of having somebody who's striving to be righteous and doing the right thing and being the closest thing as opposed to a superhero or a police officer that a fantasy RPG can have. It's a notion that some people really despise and, and they don't like to have that sort of characters around and make the life of players impossible uh, because that that player will want to say, no, no, dude, this is, this is the wrong thing to do. Let, let's not do this. So here's the interesting thing. Like I mentioned, it was you know, several years, more than a decade between, nearly two decades between uh, between playing one paladin and playing the other. So the next time I did play a paladin uh, was with the Rise of the Rune Lords game. And the, the group that I was part of, there was at least one person who I never, ever, even after the end of the campaign, when we finished it all off, I never was sure whether he was whether he was playing a character who was actually evil, like chaotic evil or something. Because some of the things that he did were leaning, you know, leaning that direction. I never was sure that that was what he was playing, and maybe he had some magical means of uh, evading my ability to detect his uh, to his alignment. But it was interesting because, despite that, not being sure where he might have stood. You know, we were able to play the game as you know players and as characters. You know, it's like we were able to to have the whole game work, even though I we definitely had somebody who was absolutely lawful good, uh, and even although although we ended up on planes where okay, this is you know my 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 spidey sense for evil is you know about ready to make my head explode here, you know, it still worked. You know, it still definitely worked, and that was so. It was a huge difference between how people handled uh, the first Paladin and how the Paladin in the uh, Rise of the Rune Wars game was handled. It was an extreme difference between those two where, again, those sort of trust things occurred. And, of course, I also didn't play my Paladin like she was trying to convert everybody she walked up to. Hmm. I grew up in the South. I know what that's like. <laughs> so I, I was not going to try to convert everybody that she walked up to. That just, you know, so Because that tends not to be effective. <laughs> so she didn't die. Uh, so she didn't do that. <laughs> So where are the boundaries, guys? Where are the boundaries between where the player's agency and their gimmicks lie, where the GM has the right to step in and say, that doesn't fit, that doesn't work? How much, how much, how much of it is just let things go? How much of it is, okay, just watch, stay and watch and see how these characters develop? And how often is it, how much of it is somebody has to come in there with a stick and say, no, bad dog? Mm. I, I think the GM, although I believe she should always have the ability to um, stop something from happening, I don't think any GM that's worth their salt would. 
they would just let people do whatever they want and live with the consequences, which is something that most people completely ignore and forget. Uh, you know, if you decide that you want to play with a character that's a Drugar and you want to be riding one of the giant spiders or you want to play with a Dryder, fine, you go ahead. But there will be consequences. You're not going to be able to be seen in public and this is what's going to happen. You won't be able to gain the, the trust of anyone outside your immediate circle because of the kind of creature you're having and you will suffer the consequences. So you could say to people, no, you cannot play a drow or you cannot play a drugar or you cannot play uh, a kefaling or whatever it is you want to play. Uh, or you can say, hey, up to you, uh, but you know, something we'll gotta give somewhere. Uh, I have a slightly different view. I do think that you can be a GM worth you know, worth your salt and still say no to certain ideas. I uh, there are, for instance, at a convention game, I'm never going to have a pregen that has uh, that's mean spirited, because it can easily derail a short game. And so in that situation, I'm definitely not going to create one so that that happens. Uh, when it comes to a, a regular, this is my gaming group game, you know, there are certain things where I'm likely to say, well, you can try that, but with the idea of consequences, like you said, but I don't think that it would be, uh, I don't think that it would be a, a failing on my part as a GM if I were to hear someone want to do something and me to say, no, that's actually not going to be something that in this game you're going to do. I, I can think of a few really good examples. I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to allow a player to portray a character who's a rapist. You know, sure. not going to happen. You know, it's not going to happen. I, I don't care if it's statutory rape or something else. It's not going to happen. Not at my table. No, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that that's understandable. Yes. But I'm talking about gimmicks that just don't seem to fit into the framework of how we view how the game should go. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you an example. I sat down to run um, uh, a campaign for some guys once. They wanted me to run something where they got to world build. They wanted to find a village that they could help grow. That's the kind of game they wanted to do because they never gotten to do it. They brought in a friend of theirs because they wanted a third to play. We started building the campaign. We're building characters for their session. And this one guy decides that he's the this prince that used to live in the area and now he's come back with this giant entourage of people. And in my head, I'm sitting there thinking about this is how is this going to be a challenge at all if a prince is coming back to fix this village and rebuild this village? He's just going to throw money at the problem and it's going to go away. This isn't going to be fun at all. And I was trying to have – I don't know the guy. It's the first time he's in my house. Um, I'm trying to have a legitimate conversation about – boundaries and well you really think that's the way to go yet i'm trying to be nice about it and the guy eventually just he, he just kind of gave up i think and he left he never came back we never gamed the campaign never happened but the other guys had adventure characters and they wanted to show up in this small village and ha have to fix it and this guy wanted to be a douche and shit on everybody's fun is the best way i can describe it and i was trying to be really nice about it with a stranger and he would not drop it. And so I that that I think that's a great example of where are these boundaries lie. Everybody's involved in the game. Everybody's there to participate. It's not just the GM's game. Right. Everybody has a vested interest. At what point do people have to what they say in Hollywood cut their cherries 
and just make something that fits with the group. Well, I think that really is going to be completely dependent upon each individual situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some some people who are going to you know, think about what you're saying to them and say, yo, you're right, but maybe I can do it this way and give you an alternative that still meets their, you know, their idea, but not on such a great big scale. You know, and then they're, you know, and then they're going to be the ones that are like the guy that you just talked about where he, you know, he wasn't going to negotiate, he wasn't going to acquiesce, he, 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 it was going to be either his way or he wasn't playing. You know, so I think it really is dependent upon the group. I, I, I have some people in my uh, ongoing group that I, we, this group's been going for you know, a number of years now in various iterations. And you know, if we were told, if any one of us was told, who were to be told, okay, you can't, you can't do that. I can't imagine any of us not saying, okay, if we understand a little bit about why not, all right, well, let me come back with this. How would this work? You know, so it's not going to, so it's not going to violate whatever it is that the GM's trying to prevent and still give us something that's like what we were thinking of. But that's that's a different thing. I mean, what with the the examples I I gave earlier, um, I agree with you. If somebody wanted to portray something like a pedophile or a rapist or something in those lines, it it doesn't matter what they want to do. That that in my game is is not going to happen. I meant more to do with once you are in the fantasy world, you know, once you are within that setting, uh, if, if there are no cyborgs. Uh, do you want to be a cyborg? Can you give me an explanation about that? If you can give me an explanation, there are going to be consequences, fine. But if you want to bring something from real life that's that's seriously a no-go area, then obviously, yeah, the, the, the GM can say no, and, and, and that's the end of it. Or even the GM can impose some sort of limitations, you know. For this campaign, I need everybody to be a human, or I need some and no one to be humans, or to have no magic users. Uh, that, that that's a different. That, I think that's a different thing from telling the player, "No, you cannot have a horse," or telling the player, "No, I'm sorry, but you are never going to find this magic ring, or you can you can never learn how to use this thing." Or that that's sort of situation. I don't know if I'm 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 differentiating things clearly enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I have actually have a question about your example. Did how did your character get the horse in the first place? We found it in a keep that we rescued. Um, but we cleared out a few goblins had settled in at the very beginning and the goblins were about to basically eat the horse so it's built into the campaign I have not read Rise of the Rune Lord so yes yes, it it was was built in the campaign and the GM didn't exit out I mean he could have removed it from the counter he chose not to correct and then nobody else at the table wanted the war horse correct and and I because I was the ranger at the time (laughs) Um, I thought, hey, I, I can get along with this thing. Why, why don't we let me keep him? I, I want to have a pet. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense to me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there were consequences. I mean, don't get me wrong. To go with a warhorse to a cave and having to leave the animal behind, that was painful. There were consequences for me doing something that was weird and, and, and strange. And my GM allowed me to do that, which I think is what a GM should be doing. There was a, there, there was a no point. There was a no Um from from anything, but obviously, if instead of being a warhorse, it had been a dragon, you know, like <laughs> a silver dragon, then he would right. have probably told me, actually, you know what? I, I think that mummy dragon is gonna come and get puppy dragon from you because it's a dragon and you're a first level character. Get real. 
Yeah, I mean, I think most things, most things that if they're within reason, a GM can work with. And as you pointed out, even sometimes the fantastical can still work with some caveats. But I still feel like there may be situations where it just simply makes sense for the GM to say, no, this this isn't going to (laughs) fly. Yeah, again, for me, as you say, it's it's a very personal thing and it has to be on a situation per situation level for me if it's just pushing the boundaries of fantasy or pushing the boundaries of science fiction that have been set that i really have no problems whatsoever with if it is pushing the personal boundaries uh, and, and the comfort boundaries of the players not the game the players which is what having a rapist around the table would be uh, then I think that's a different matter altogether. I think both things are blending, um, and then, yes, the GM should step. And not just the GM, but the whole group, to be honest. Well, you would hope the whole group, but yeah, I, and, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen in all groups. I, I think we con- I, we're constantly circling back to the issue of trust, right? If you are playing with people that you trust, and you want to play a rapist, and I hope to God nobody listening wants to play a racist, rapist, but if you're playing with a group you trust and somebody there wants to play a rapist and explore that as a character for a few sessions and everybody is interested in seeing where that goes, that's a completely different conversation. But I'm not going to endorse it, no. but I'm certainly not going to say what's right or wrong there. What I, what I would always say whenever I'm giving advice to GMs is everybody's got to be on board with stuff. And if everybody keeps vetoing everything, every little ingredient, right? The problem with your example, Paco, Mm -hmm. is it's one little ingredient in this world filled with so much nonsense that there's no way I would ever say, no, you can't have a war horse. Exactly. You have people riding dragons in fantasy settings. Why is a halfling, or you were a hobbit or halfling? Yeah. With a war, why is that an issue for anybody? Why does anybody at the table care exactly. that you're doing that? If, yeah, it's, if you, it's unusual. It makes the character memorable in my mind. Yeah, exactly. if you were riding around on a giant crab, I would start asking questions simply because the rest of us are playing a more grounded game and he's running around on a giant crab. Well, that, at the same time, I would maybe be a little jealous. Oh, I wish I thought to have a giant crab. Oh, yeah, I'm just sucking around with my plus one sword. I'm kind of boring. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're sitting down and you've already signed up and invested in Pathfinder, which in a lot of ways is silly, there's no way something like that should bother you enough to violate somebody's trust when they're not there at the table. Exactly. And there are plenty of examples in every single type of game. You know, I, I, I played with somebody who would have an issue because my friend Lisa wanted to play an academic in a Cthulhu game. And and he was arguing constantly. How can you, how can you have any kind of uh, science kind of doctorate if you come from a humble family from Middle England? If you're a woman, how how on earth did you get there? And I'll, oh, we were just, yeah, there we go. Person knows no one in real life who's had to bring themselves up through poverty or through at least you know very exactly. lower middle class. Exactly, <laughs> you know. So there are plenty of examples of people who will wow. look at whatever you want to do and think, "Oh no, I don't think this is possible," and therefore I don't think I'm going to allow you to do this. And it's a bit seriously, seriously. We are playing a game with something with tentacles in his beard is going to drive everybody crazy, and you have an issue with a woman who wants to play a doctor. <laughs> What? Oh. The problem is, you know, she shouldn't have come from a, a, a poor family. <laughs> yeah, that's what she gets for being a woman and poor. Yeah, yes. exactly. She really that's should have exactly chosen it. 
yeah, she really should have chosen to be born a, a man in an affluent family instead of choosing to be a poor woman. Yeah. How dare you have the kind of fun you want to have? Exactly. <laughs> that, that, but that, that's the point, that there are situations that people are going to find weird or unknown or simply uncomfortable or because they never have come or had to think about that one. And just to stop that situation there, because it's not something that you've given any thought to, as a GM, I think that's completely and utterly wrong. I think you just should let players, you know, run with it for a bit, see what happens, and, you know, if it doesn't work, you can always throw a bayaki at that person and get rid of her. Uh, so I got to tell a funny, positive story in this sort of um, range of stories that we're telling. Tuesday night we played Kagematsu. Oh, yes. Which I don't... You, play, you played it or heard of it? I've read it, and I think it's an absolutely brilliant game that everybody should play. I conceptually, I absolutely love it. I do not like the math of it, but neither, that's but yeah. not a problem if you only play once. Mm-hmm. If you play more than once, you'll see all the the problems with it. But everybody should play it anyway. Um, the concept, Vicky, since you probably are not familiar with it, and a lot of people listening probably aren't familiar with it, is everyone, all the men, play women from a small village that doesn't have a lot of men in it. And sure. the female at the table, it's assumed that there's only one, um, plays the the male ronin coming through town it's jap it's japan um and he's come there to save them from some sort of problem in our particular problem it was a sea monster was killing all of the children in the village and in order to appease it the the elders were um sacrificing virgins to the to to the sea serpent to the to the sea monster and so we were all playing females in the in the village, and we all have a vested interest in getting this Ronin to come and help us. Right. Everybody sits down and makes characters. I make mine third, and I make this homely, normal peasant girl who works the rice fields and cooks really well and takes care of her grandmother and grandfather. Not really that much of a stretch at all of the imagination of any kind of character somebody could come up with. This right. guy sits down to play with us. He's never gamed before in his life any kind of gaming. He's shown up to this meetup to sit down and play with us. He made the most interesting character you could ever come up with for this kind of setting and played it so well. And I'm just sitting there staring at my character sheets thinking, I've been doing this 30 years and I'm really shitty at this. <laughs> <laughs> I I felt so bad that I brought nothing to the table. I brought nothing original or rich because I was being so busy trying to make something that fit the setting I tried so hard to do that that I didn't do anything creative with it. And here's this guy. He doesn't know anything about boundaries or social contracts or anything. He just sits down and he just makes this amazing character. And boom, every scene he was in was just hilarious and awesome. And I just – so there's a perfect example of you know, play, play something good, play something interesting, bring something fresh. And yeah – I don't know. I think I got off the t- the point of what we were saying before, but I thought it was relevant. My takeaway from it is that you're saying that you know you don't have the, the trust issue. He didn't have someone naysaying his character. Yeah, so, yeah, no, yeah. When we certainly wouldn't have, right? It's his first time playing. We as were opposed certainly... to you know, you can't have that horse because you're playing a halfling. <laughs> yeah. No. The worst thing you could do the first time somebody sits down for a role-playing game is tell them, well, you know, elves only go up to 12th level in that class, and they can't have sharp weapons. They have to have... That's the dumbest thing you can do to somebody when they're trying to enjoy role-playing for the first time. And so we just let him do what he wanted, but he did something awesome as opposed to just something outlandish and silly. And That's cool. 
be, yeah, because of that, I just walked away thinking, I've got to stop being that guy. Because I, I always play, when we're playing in, this, in the public setting for the, the, the meetups, I always play the Milk Toast characters so that I can give a lot more room for everybody else to play because I want these new players to experience gaming. And I don't need to do that all the time, I don't think. No. I mean, if you can bring an awesome character to the table, and so long as you don't hog the spotlight, they're yeah. still going to have a, a table full of awesome gaming. It's just you get to have awesome gaming yourself as well. Yes. Well, I've really gotten into this habit of um, playing what I call generous characters, characters that don't make the story about them. They don't have their own individual motivations or goals or whatnot. And so they ask leading questions of other characters, and they help other characters build stories. I've gotten into a habit of playing those characters over the years for, for so long because I've been demoing for so long, right? When you're teaching right. people how to game, you don't play your own character. You just play a guy. And I'll end up picking up the slack and play all the NPCs. And, you know, because, we, again, we play games without game masters traditionally. And so somebody has to play all these extra people. And then it's always me. And, and, uh, so it was nice. It was really nice and refreshing to see somebody come with a fresh idea. And I just, I felt so small afterwards. Well, so the exact opposite of your story, Paco. I had a great time. Nobody violated my trust. Yes, well, you have nothing to violate. Your character was pretty normal. Maybe if you weren't a jerk, they wouldn't have killed your horse. Probably. I was. I have to say, Hicks Bottom was very annoying, um, which suits my personality. <laughs> oh. Aren't all halflings and hobbits annoying? Well, well, mine, mine are, yes. A um, bit of a clever dick. Um, it had to be. Come on. It's, it's a 13 level 21 dexterity thing. You could do the splits on anything. It was amazing. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm starting to take the rest of the group's side on this story now. <laughs> I, you're lucky all they did was sell it and not eat it. I would have been happier if they had eaten the horse because they were hungry. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, actually, uh, b before before we wrap it up, because um, we've been at it for 40 minutes now, or thereabouts, before we wrap it up, um, something, uh, I have discussed this with you guys, but I wanted to bring it on because I've been watching it today and I am absolutely loving it. Have you guys had the chance to watch the uh, new Geek and Sundry show, uh, Titan's Grave? I have not. No. Um, can I please ask you to watch it? Because I have... It's. Do you know what it is? You can ask, but I'm not necessarily saying yes. <laughs> uh, Titan's Grave, isn't that uh, Will Wheaton's thing? Yes. Yeah. Um, ba based well, I, I, I've actually... In that case, I take that back. I've been, I have been exposed to it because my husband flipped it on while I'm trying to get some work done. So I sort of saw part of it. <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm going to strongly encourage everyone to watch it for, for two reasons. Um... For people, for those of you out there who don't know what it is, uh, a few months ago on season one of Tabletop, uh, they played two sessions of Dragon Age with Chris Pramas. And since then, Will Witten has always wanted to do a spin-off of Tabletop to play a role-playing game. But they didn't know if they were going to be able to do it. I think they then found it, funded it when they founded the second season of Tabletop. And now they have done it. And I know that Pramas and Steve Kenson have been working on this for a few months and weren't able to talk about it. And now it's out. And the first episode, uh, I've, I've watched the two first episodes today. The first episode is an introduction of the setting and the characters and what's all about. And the second one, it's uh, the, the first session that they've played. And there is a bit of a combat. And it's a science fiction science fantasy sort of um, environment going on um, called Varkana. 
So that first that first episode there, that's actually referred to as episode zero, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, see, see, I really did hear parts of this. <laughs> well, there is a massive difference between uh, episode zero and episode one. Yeah, um, the episode zero seemed to be really just introducing kind of you know what is role play, and then finally led up to okay, this is what we're about to start doing correct. episodes about. Yeah, and and they're introducing the characters and what a role playing game is all about and everything. Now, the, the episode zero left me a little bit cold because there isn't really much going on other than Will Wheaton talking. Uh, well, especially uh, if you already know what RPGs are. Correct. Having said that, um, one of the things that I noticed, I'm, I'm, I don't, I like tabletop. I'm just not a massive fan of it. I, I'm, I, I wouldn't be able to, to watch every single episode of that thing. Um, having said that, Will Witten is in absolutely fantastic form in this thing. He, he's obviously very passionate and he's liking this an awful lot, and he's using his voice very, very well. He's obviously a very good narrator, and for this one, he's making a massive effort, and it shows. Because it is well written, his jokes are absolutely appalling, uh, really, <laughs> really bad. He's not a comedian, but he's a very good narrator, and the story is very decent indeed. The production levels they're using for this, they're using motion graphics. They're not movies, they're not animations. Uh, as in full um, Disney-type animation, but they're using motion graphics to show what the battle could be, where people would be, what the effects of the spells would be, and just illustrate what's going on while the players are playing. And the players are terrific at that as well. Um, and the editing of the videos is is really very, very good. So I think they're setting up a new um, level of show production. And the interesting thing to me was that whereas I wouldn't want to watch tabletop very much with this one it's actually like watching a television series told by a few people and that plays really well it's very very good cool so if, if you haven't watched it yet uh, seriously have a have a sit down it's only 41 minutes episode one uh, sit down and, and take a proper look because these guys they are doing something quite special with with Titan's Grave well, if you would shut up, we could watch it, but you're still going. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not meant to be watching it now, were you? You're meant to be kind of agreeing with me and talking, asking, asking yeah, me questions, okay, I agree, paying attention. Blah, blah, blah. Can I go now and watch the damn thing? Yes, in a minute. We have to say <laughs> goodbye first. Goodbye first. Oh, Ta-da. boo. Oh, boo, <laughs> dear. <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> anyway. I I've think waited we... too long. I'm getting punchy. I can't help it. Is it because you're hungry? No, I actually ate first for once. Oh, okay. I had breakfast for dinner. It was the only thing I could fix fast enough to actually have done and eat before the show. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Oh, poor thing. Okay. Well, in that case, let's go so I can go to bed because it's very late already. And yes, Jim, I always say this. Get over it. <laughs> it's very late. I'm going to turn into a pumpkin. I'm blah, not going to turn into a pumpkin. joke TV. about being up so late. I've been working all day. <laughs> okay. I, I doubt you work, but all right. I do. I, I, unfortunately, I do work a lot, very much. <laughs> So before we ramble on too much more for our poor listeners, perhaps it's time to say thank you for listening, listeners. I'm Vicky Beaver. <laughs> and, and you are? Who you are? I'm Jim Pinto. Because you didn't say who you were at the beginning of the Yeah, episode. I know. This is the weird part of the show. I, they, they know who we are. But not everybody. What happens if we get a new listener? And by the time we... <laughs> They're not coming back after this episode. <laughs> Maybe. It's very likely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, got one more person to sign off. <laughs>
<laughs> right, listeners, thank you very, very much in this as always for being there. And uh, we would be, well, I would be, Jim probably wouldn't, but I would be delighted and surely Vicky would also be very delighted if you sent us your comments and told us. Yes. Now, what you think, what your good experiences and your character assassinations have been and that sort of things. Uh, Jim doesn't care. Um, <laughs> he's very, very hard trying to think. I actually would love to hear what people think about the show because we have no idea what they think of the show. I know what they think. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what they think. I know. I know what they think. Look, no news is good news. <laughs> no news is good news. <laughs> I know. I did meet one of our listeners at Gen Con last year. And you're alive. Wow. I want to say his name was Robert, but I could be wrong. Really nice guy. Came up, shook my hand, said he liked the show. Um, and I thought that was really nice. Um, I had someone who recognized my voice when I was talking to my husband. And that was like, wow, that's neat. <laughs> no, I, I know some. I know people who I know people who listen. Carl Prinder and Simon Morris does listen. And Karaganda does listen. I know a lot of people who do listen to the show. And I know that people who listen to the show like it because they have wonderful taste and they are wonderful human beings. <sighs> As opposed to people who don't listen, who because they don't listen, we don't need to say nice things about them. Screw you, people! <laughs> you mean people that go to RPG Net? Yes. Oh, I think it's time to say goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> I like RPG Net, by the way. <laughs> that that yeah, that joke was more inside than anything else. Yes, but now people are going to hear it because of you. Oh well, I'm not welcome there anyway, so it's <laughs> fine by me. And people know I don't like it. Anyway, as I was saying, people, thank you very much indeed for being there. Do send us your comments and let us know what you think. And if you want to leave us a voice message, go to the website, gmsmagazine.com. And on the right, there is a little tab where you can send us a message in English, please, or Spanish, since I can understand both. But don't send it in some sort of language that we don't know anything about, or Klingon, because I know you do. And uh, also, you can find us in Twitter. I am GMS Magazine. I'm VA Beaver writing. I'm postworldgames.com. And you can find us as well, at least me in Facebook. I am Paco.jaen. And on Facebook, I'm also VA Beaver writing. Uh, I'm Jim Pinto on Facebook now. They got rid of the postworld games, they took it away. Dear me, I was going to say something very rude, but I shan't. And by all means, do send us your comments and questions or whatever you want to tell us via email podcast at gmsmagazine.com but until the next time thank you very very much how do I stop this from the court <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>